this on? Alrighty, good evening, guys. Um, well, before we get started, I'd like to lift up just the campuses. Um, I talked to Hadassah before, and, uh, you know, just easy to, you know, have the heart broken over that situation. So um, we're going to be in the book of Hosea, so um, we're going to pray first, and if you could turn there. Um, it's right after the book of Daniel. Uh, if you flip, like, seven-tenths of the way through your Bible, you'll get there. All right. Well, Lord, uh, I just pray for the campuses right now. Uh, Lord, those, those little hearts that are just hurting. Lord, it's really touching, and I thank you that you just care for the little ones so much. We see your heart for that in the scriptures, God. And so we lift up uh, this family. God, we pray that you would draw them closer to you through this whole ordeal, God. And we pray that uh, you would protect little Azariah and his, his heart, God. And um, Lord, just the, the physical elements of this situation that are going on. God, we pray that you comfort the family. Um, and Lord, for tonight, God, we're here, and it's just, it's all about you, and so we, we want to seek you. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, and that you would just reveal to us, um, Lord, the way that this is going to fit into our lives, Lord. Um, thank you for who you are, God, and how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, well, uh, like I said, we're going to be in the book of Hosea. Tonight is the first minor prophet, so um, it comes right after on the heels of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, these major prophets. Um, and there's a little bit of a, I mean, I'll, I'll just address this while you get there, uh, a misconception about the book of Daniel, because it comes right before Hosea, yet it's a major prophet, but it has less chapters than Hosea. Hosea has 14 chapters, Daniel has 12 chapters. Um, but uh, you gotta realize that the chapters are added, and so, if you, if you go by word count, Daniel has twice as many words as Hosea. Um, and, and the book of Zechariah also has more chapters than Daniel. But Daniel almost has twice as many words as that. And so when we say minor prophet, it's not that it's minor as in stature or importance. It just, it's just a smaller message. Um, and so, you know, this was something that was, you know, it's not... The, the term minor and major prophet isn't something that's, that's canonized. It was, it was come up uh, with at some point, and so it just, you know, it's, it's still the word of God, and it's important. Um, Hosea is a, was, prof, is a prof, was a prophet, and he was prophesying during the time of around 760 to 720 A.D., so before, um, before Jesus, you know, this was a time in which God was sending his prophets to speak to the kings, um, Israel was divided in two kingdoms at this time, you know, much contrary to today, but similar in the fact that they were often at war. Um, you know, God had told his people before he even brought them into the land that once they got there, that they were going to ask for kings. And when, um, and I'm going to read real quick, these principles that he gave um, for these kings that were governing over the nation, and, uh, you know, we're going to see that it, their downfall was not, uh, was by not heeding these. So it says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says, um, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it, and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren, you shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreign over you who is not your brother. And then it goes on to talk about how the king isn't to multiply horses for himself. He isn't to multiply wives for himself. 
And when he was to sit on the king, the king was to write a copy of the law in a book. And it was to be something for him to read and for him to, to meditate and keep close to him all the days of his life. And the reason for this, it says, so that his heart may not be lifted up above, above his brethren and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So, you know, God gave this ordinance to the kings before they even existed or the thought of them existed. And, you know, by the time it got around to King Solomon, um, you know, he, he pretty much offended each one of those uh, to the point where um, the kingdom was torn away from Solomon. And this is how the, the civil war started. God said to Solomon, um, it says, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and he had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. And he says, however, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So when Israel split, there was two tribes to the south, which was called Judah, and ten tribes to the north, which was called Israel. Hosea was a prophet to the north in Israel. And at this time, there was actually other prophets that God had set to speak to the people. Um, Hosea was in the north along with the prophet Micah around the same time. And um, at the same time, also the prophet Isaiah and Amos were prophets to Judah. And so in the midst of all these kings that were ruling, God was faithful to send in these messengers to speak to the kings. And mo most often it was, it was warnings um, to these kings that were leading the nation into idolatry to turn from their evil ways. And, and that's, you know, what this book is, a plea for them to return to the Lord. Um, and oftentimes, these prophets were not, um, you know, they weren't men that were, were honored. You know, we, last week uh, at UGM, uh, we, you know, we visited one of, the, one of the prophets that is only mentioned in one chapter, but he ended up, you know, the king said that he hated him. And, and I imagine that's what it was for most of these prophets. And so, um, you know, it really it shows a lot that we, you know, one, we, we don't know a lot about them, but because of their calling, we can, we can kind of determine a lot about their character and who they were. And so, really, it doesn't, we don't learn a lot about who Hosea is in the book of Hosea. There's really, there's really only one line that he actually speaks throughout the whole book. Yet, you know, God is using his life as he used these prophets' lives to speak through the people. Um, the, with the prophets uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Hosea, he uses physical situations in their lives to speak to the people. And he, he, he did this in the New Testament as well. Uh, Jesus, you know, spoke through parables to the people. And it's, it's the same way that he can speak to us through our own lives. And so there's some of the things that we're going to get to that we'll read that we'll need a little bit of explanation, but it was so that God could speak to the people in their own language, right? Um, so Hosea's name actually comes from the same 
uh, like root word of the name of Jesus. And so Jesus means God is salvation. Um, there's another character in the Old Testament, Joshua, who's in a similar name. His name means Jehovah is salvation. And Hosea means salvation. And so if you substitute that in, I think it's so cool that, you know, we get to read the book of salvation, right? Um, and so it's a blessing that, you know, we get to be here and, and in this book. It's a, like I said, it's a, it's a book of prophecy. And there's a lot of poetry in it. It is, it is God, you know, it's almost the opposite to the Psalms where it is God speaking to his people. You know, the Psalms is, is often prayers up to God. And so we get to learn some deep truths in this book about who God is. Um, you know, we, we get to learn how God is, how he reacts. We get to learn some real deep truths about ourselves as humans. And so, you know, the, the prayer is that as we go through this book, that as we learn these things, you know, we learn how to respond accordingly. Um, we're going to get to see a lot of dialogue between God and speaking to, to Israel as his bride. You know, that's one of the main themes of the book, exploring that relationship um, between God and Israel as a, a bride and a, and a husband. And we also get to see big themes of, of God's unconditional love. Um, we also see the fact that, you know, sin and the nation being in idolatry will lead to judgment. However, as we're going to see tonight in chapter 1, God, you know, he, he always plans for a way of restoration and salvation. And so even though sin brings consequences, you know, God, God would rather have restoration. And sometimes he uses even the unfortunate situations to bring apart or bring around restoration. So um, let's go ahead and, and get into it, and we'll, we'll read verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So, you know, he lists these four kings of Judah and the one king of Israel. Um, you know, most of the kings in this time, uh, you know, most of them were bad. The, all the kings to the north of Israel all of them were wicked. Um, it wasn't it wasn't that way with all of them to Judah, but still more than more of them in Judah were bad than good. Um, and so it just you know it's amazing that you know I just see God's grace in the fact that He allowed so many of of these wicked kings and, and to to remain, and He gave them chances to turn and chances to turn. And eventually, you know, for some of them and, and most of them in, in the north, as we'll see, um, that, you know, their sin and their idolatry led to bloodshed. And it, it led to, you know, there was assassinations, there was um, whole dynasties that, that were wiped out. Um, and it's just that fulfillment of what, what God said in Deuteronomy. If they followed and stuck to what God had given them and the principles that he, he, he told them to remain in his word to stay close to him and, and not to multiply these things for themselves, that their days would be prolonged. And many of them were not, and we, we can see just why. Um, I want to go through and, and read the names of these kings in verse 1 and what they mean, because, you know, we've kind of lost the art today of names meaning things. But it's just amazing, these kings in particular, what their names were actually were who they were um and so uh king uzziah um his name means the lord is my strength or power uh, jotham means the lord is perfect 
Ahaz means God has held. Hezekiah means God strengthens. And for these four, these four kings of Judah, um, if you want if you're taking notes and you want to reference where they are, you can find these four kings in Second Chronicles chapter twenty six through thirty two, and Second Kings chapter fifteen through twenty one. Um, and this last king, the king of uh, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, um, his name means "May the people increase," and that's truly who this guy was. Um, there's actually two Jeroboams that were kings in Israel. And they called, they were, we refer to this one as Jeroboam II. It, he wasn't like a junior. It was two kings. They weren't related. It, just because they have the same name, we, we tack the two on the end so we can distinguish. Um, but he did follow in the steps of the first Jeroboam in leading the nation into idolatry. Um, and during his reign, the kingdom was, uh, you know, physically they, they were well. They were strong militarily. They were taking back lands that, had been conquered away from them, um, you know, economically, you know, they were doing great, but spiritually, they were not, um, you know, I read something where it said that Jeroboam, you know, led them into moral depravity, and so even though the physical, you know, status of the nation was well, the spiritual state was not, um, and so, you know, you know, this is the, the state that Israel's in, they were, they were in idolatry, their leaders kept leading the people down paths of idolatry and and they wouldn't repent and so we're going to see you know the action that God takes here verse 2 when the Lord began to speak by Hosea the Lord said to Hosea go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord so basically he says go marry a prostitute um I don't know about you, my first thought when I, when I read this was, you know, there's a thought of why, and there's, I think there's an immediate thought, we may not acknowledge it, but there's an immediate thought of, well, that sounds wrong, that doesn't sound right, um, and I think before we kind of explain this, we need to address first that, you know, God is perfect, and I, I, heard, a, I heard a song about a month ago that, that kind of got me started on this train of thought that, it said, no matter what you do, Lord, you're still perfect. And it's not that, you know, God's going to go out and, and, you know, do anything and, and do bad things. It's the fact that because of who God is, he literally cannot do perfect. And so before we explore this, we need to sit in that perspective of, okay, God is perfect. Therefore, whatever he does is perfect. You know, even, you know, his reasoning is beyond our comprehension. So even if we may not understand that at first, we have to sit with, okay, you know, this is, this is right. If, if we assume that there's a chance that it's wrong, you know, we're maligning God's character. Um, you know, we're in disagreement with, with his word and, and what it says about him. So, you know, this is something that is hard, and, and we look at it, and we may say, why? And the answer is right there at the end of the verse. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Like I said, God spoke to the, to the nation through the lives of these prophets. In uh, Isaiah chapter 20, Jeremiah chapter 16, and Ezekiel chapter 4, God calls these prophets and Hosea here to do physical things that, that may seem very strange, but it was in that illustration of the people. God's heart uh, is going to, you know, Hosea's heart is going to become just like God's heart is towards his people. He's broken, you know. He, he's, he's hurt, that, you know. Israel has not been faithful to him. 
They've, they've served their idols. Um, they've become harlots. They've sold themselves out for a price. And so it's not a punishment on Hosea. It's to get him in that, it's to get him to understand God's mindset so he can effectively communicate it to the people. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a command that he gives them. It's, it's not really an option. He says, go. He says, go, do it. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it, it may be that God may call us ourselves to, to hard things at some point. Um, and I think, you know, we have a, a great example here because in verse 3, it just says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dublane, and she conceived and bore him a, t- a son. You know, there's no complaining. There's no, you know, why, Lord? And, and you know, it's not recorded for us, so we don't know if there was any more interaction, but I think it's enough that he just went in and took her. He just went in and did what God said. And it, it sounds like a very extreme form of obedience where, you know, he just went and did whatever, whatever God said right away. Um, maybe it wasn't that way, but I, I, think it's, I think we can take it as that. And, and I think something that we can take away from this is, you know, it, just how important that simple obedience is and the hardest things, and, and we can struggle with that. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and, and it just like how hard it is sometimes to do things. I know for me, I can be a procrastinator. Um, and in, in this sense, to do what, what God wants, to do his will, you know, there's only really one way that we can do that, and, and it's one by drawing close to him enough to know it because, you know, when we, when we are close to God and he speaks to us about something and he tells us to do something, you know, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It just, it, and it's almost the same as if God spoke to you literally like he did here to Hosea uh, to go, you know, go do whatever, and it makes that, that in itself makes it so much easier to go ahead and obey what God has told us to do. Um, and like I said, you know, this shows that Hosea was, was someone who was close to God and the fact that, you know, he was going to obey God no matter what the cost. You can imagine for himself, you know, the, the heartbreak that he, that he had in this situation. Some people, you know, can skepticize to see and, and they say, well, it, maybe this is an illustration. Why would, why would God do that? You know, doesn't, and they can't really compute it. And we'll, we'll kind of find some details later on in the chapter that really point to the fact that this is a literal thing. Uh, you know, people have the same thing with the book of Jonah. They may, you know, they, they say, oh, no, that's not real. It's just an illustration. But no, this is, really what, this is really what God said. This is really what God told him to do. Um, and it's important because we, we have to take the, the Bible literally at, at face value and, and, and see what God is doing and then, you know, put it into our own lives. So, you know, she has this son, and for all, all three of the kids that are going to come up here, um, that are going to be born to Hosea, they're all going to be named things that have meaning. Uh, like we explored uh, with these kings um, in the beginning, their names really meant something, and, and they meant it as in, like, the personification of, of Israel. And so the first, first one... Verse 4, then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. 
uh, Jezreel, it kind of has a double meaning here. There's, the, there's a, the word meaning, which means God scatters or God sows. And this was going to happen with Israel. They were going to be scattered into exile by an incoming Assyrian army in, seven, in 722 AD. You know, up until the time where, you know, Hosea is prophesying these things. And he actually gets to, he's going to get to witness them in person as they unfold. Um, but it was also, uh, Jezreel was also a place in the Old Testament. Um, yeah, it first appears in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 33. And it also appears multiple other places in the Bible. Um, you know, it's, it's in, in the book of Revelation, it's the, the valley of, of Armageddon, and so we're not done with it yet. Um, and, you know, when we were at UGM last week, we kind of, got to, to one of the places where Jezreel is mentioned. And, um, you know, one of these wicked kings of Israel, King Ahab, went and there was this guy named Naboth in Jezreel and he had this vineyard. And Ahab, you know, it was right next to his, not his first palace, his second palace. And he said, okay, I, I want this, I want this vineyard. So he went and asked him and Naboth said, no, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to give it to you. God told me not to. And so he goes home and he, and he cries to his wife Jezebel and he's not eating dinner and and Jezebel goes out and, and has this guy stoned just for his vineyard. And, and then when, when God comes in and uses the prophet Elijah to speak judgment on, on Ahab, it's prophesied and it happens that the death of Ahab and Jezebel happens in Jezreel. And, it, and in that same prophecy, God uh, tells him that you know, his dynasty would not continue. And the guy that God used for that is Jehu, like it says here in verse 4, and when it says, I'll avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. And the reason why it's being avenged is because when Jehu came in and um, killed the sons of Ahab, he killed the 70 sons of Ahab, he, he did do what God wanted, but the way that he did it was in such a way that was so against God. It was so malicious. It was so hateful. Of, of, of the sinners of this family. Um, and he didn't do it for God's glory. He did it for his own glory. It, it says in Second Kings that, However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. And so God is prophes- he prophesies you know, that Jehu is going to have four generations on the throne. And right here, he's saying that you know, the bloodshed is going to come. And Jer- the Jeroboam that's the king of Israel this time, Jeroboam the second was the third out of those four generations. And so his son, um, Zechariah, only ends up being king for six months before he's assassinated. And, and you know, Jeroboam ends up being the last, he, he was the longest tenured king of Israel, but he ends up being the last significant one that ruled for more than 10 years before the nation goes into this exile. And, and so God says that he's going to bring the end to the kingdom of the house of Israel by the downfall of this dynasty. In verse 5, so it, it will come to pass in that day, 
God says that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Um, when it says bow here, talking about, you know, like the weapon of the day was a bow. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have weapons like we do today. And so when it says it's broken, it, it's a symbol of that loss of power. And I think that's important because this was a nation that was militarily strong. And so the fact that, you know, they trusted in their military and they had, you know, confidence in that. And that was what God used to break them. Um, and it says that God did it in the Valley of Jezreel. We don't really have any recorded, you know, you know, this is where the Assyrians came in and, and took over and took Israel into captivity. Um, other than this, you know, this is what God says is going to happen. And so, you know, we can take it for his word that it happens. Um, you know, like I said, this is the end of the, the kingdom of the house of Israel. And this was, you know, the house of Jehu was the fourth dynasty of Israel. And like I mentioned earlier, they all ended up being assassinated or killed. Um, and out of these four main dynasties, the dynasty of the, the first Jeroboam the first, the dynasty of Baasha, the, the dynasty of, of Omri, which King Ahab was a part of that, and then this dynasty of Jehu, all ended up coming to those points where God you know, brought in someone or, or circumstances happened to where the whole dynasty was wiped out. And it's, it's, it's really tragic just because of the fact that, you know, God gave them chances and chances and, and they, didn't, they didn't turn. And so just like what happened with each one of these dynasties, it's happening with Israel right now. And so, you know, they're going to they're gonna go into captivity. Um, and, and, you know, there's going to be hope for them to return, but there has to be, you know, there's natural judgment for the sin that they were a part of. And there's some parts of that that, are, are just because, you know, there's part of it that's, that's judgment from God, but there's other part of it that's, that's just natural, you know. If, if you, you know, go and you lie to somebody and they find out there's going to be natural consequences from that. You know, God doesn't have to supernaturally intervene in, those, in a situation like that for there to be consequences. Um, but we're going to find that, you know, well, let's, let's just read on. <laughs> Verse 6. Um, and she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Um, so this kind of, it's a little bit of a continuation of this prophecy before, and, but God says, you know, I'm not going to have mercy on them anymore. And it may seem like something that's, oh, I should say, Lo-Ruhamah means no mercy. Um, and there's another, you know, there's another interpretation of it that, that means never knew a father's pity. And you can take that, uh, and it, it's almost like because you realize this was a physical child, that you know, this possibly Hosea's wife Gomer had had this kid with someone else, and so maybe the kid never knew who their father was. Um, and, and so, you know, she's continuing to be unfaithful, and, and so is Israel. The, and, and God no longer has mercy on them because, you know, they didn't want God's mercy anymore. They'd, you know, been clear that they wanted to turn their back on God. And so, you know, God allowed it. And, and it kind of brings up the question, you know, well, how, 
you know, if, if God's not going to pour out mercy on them anymore, how far, how far does God's mercy go? And I think the answer was, was what, in, we, what in, in what I just said about how, you know, un, if there's a point where, where, you det- where someone determines in their heart that they're unwilling to accept God or, or to accept his mercy, then God's not going to force it upon them. Uh, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the world, all that are left are those who have turned their hearts against God, and, and they, they never will turn to God. And so God honors this, this choice that they make, and, and so he says, you know, I'm, I'm no longer going to have mercy on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you away. Um, and uh, we're going to visit this passage also next week, but I think it's important to bring up in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 15. It says, For, for God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And so, God, you know, God chooses who are we to, who are we to question Him, and it's it's something where, you know, it says in the next verse that yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow nor by sword or battle by horses or horsemen. And so, God has mercy on Judah, but but not on Israel. And you may say, well. well that sounds unfair, but it's not because mercy, in what mercy is, is it's undeserved. You know, both parties here were guilty. It's not like Judah was, was perfect. Out of the kings of Judah, there were some of them that were righteous. Um, you know, some of these kings that we listed in the beginning, Hezekiah is one of those kings that, you know, most people hear his name and they, yeah, yeah, that was a good king. Um, but it's not, God, it's not God picking favorites. It's God, you know, taking... You know, the situation and where they were at, Israel trusting themselves and their military. Hezekiah at this time, at the time when he ruled, trusting in God. And, you know, he, he's honoring that decision. And so Israel didn't want the mercy. Judah, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll find that Hezekiah came to a point where he was pleading God. And so God, you know, comes in and he will give them mercy. Um, but Israel, you know, they'll be taken away. He, God says that, he will save them by the Lord their God. Will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, or horses or horsemen. Uh, and this is a prophecy that is directly fulfilled. Second Kings chapter nineteen verse thirty-five. Um, you know Hezekiah was the king, and these these Assyrians that just had invaded uh, the northern part of Israel came in, and you know they're about to knock down on Judah's walls and come in and invade them. And the, the king sends a letter, the king of Assyria sends a letter to Hezekiah, you know, that they're going to come in and do this stuff. And Hezekiah lays it out before the Lord, and, and he prays to him. And it says that the, the angel of the Lord came in and, and killed 185,000 Assyrians in the night. You know, he, <laughs> they didn't have to raise one sword against his army. You know, God came in, and he did it. And it's, you know, it's a direct fulfillment, fulfillment right here. It's exactly what God said was going to happen. And so, um, let's continue verse 8. Now when she had weaned lo Ruhama, she conceived and bore a son. Um, so, I want to stop right here before we continue. This is why I mentioned earlier that this is a detail that it seems strange to include, you know, the weaning process of two to three, so two to three years old gap between the kids. Um, but it shows that this was this was literal. You know, I I borrowed a, a commentary from Pastor Paul where um, 
this guy Leon J. Wood just talked about that and, and how you know this was literal, literal and historical and it proves that this was a true account and how it's not something that is an allegory. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not fake, it's real. And God told him, um, you know, for the third kid, call his name Lo Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. And it, it's, a, it's a heavy verse. Uh, you know, and my mind, you know, goes to, uh, you know, first of all, you know, you know this, this poor kid, you know, he, he, you know, every time they called him, you know, not my people, come here. Like, uh, it was very obvious, you know, this Gomer went in and had a kid with somebody else. And so this was not Hosea's child. And, and it, you know, it seems harsh that, harsh that they have these names, but we're going to find out that God redeems the names. Um, and so he uses them for a purpose and he, he changes them. You know, and we see in the Bible that God changes people's names, you know, Abram to Abraham, uh, you know, Jacob to, to Israel, and so God's in, the, in that process, and, and he's one who's always faithful to bring that restoration, but in this instance, God says, for you're not my people, and I'll not be your God. They rejected God, so he's, you know, going to say, okay, you know, if, I'm not going to play pretend. If, if you're not going to be my people, you know, I'm, I'm not your God. And it's, it's something that I think we've we got to sit on for a second, and especially before we continue, because the rest of this chapter, it talks about God's promise for restoration. And it, I almost see it as a divide between just the many here, you know, the New Testament and the Old Testament. A lot of people don't want to read the Old Testament because, you know, they see judgment. Um, they see punishment. They see things that are, you know, may take a bit, may be hard to explain. Um, but it's really important for us, you know, when we get to that point, of, you know, to realize that what God has brought us through so much is what makes the salvation so precious. You know, somebody doesn't know that they need salvation if they don't know that they're a sinner. And so, um, you know, before we talk about the goodness of God here, you know, let's recognize the gravity of the sin. Um, you know, what it means and the fact that, that God pulled him out of it. God often does such a work in the people's lives who have been so far away from him and that he saves. You know, I got, I got two buddies that are, you know, they were both in prison, in a men's home, drugs and all this stuff, and, and God took them out of that, and it's such a point to, you know, where now they're both pastors. And God uses those extremes, and he, and he chooses to bring these people out of the depths of their sin, and to slowly, lovingly call them to him and wait for them to respond. All these kings, all these, this nation of Israel had chosen time and time again. They'd made that choice for themselves. That okay, you know, I'm going to go seek miles. I'm going to go, you know, seek myself, seek pleasure. And God just waits. And, and, you know, there's punishment that comes for the sin. And I'm sure God did not want that punishment to come. I'm sure that we don't want that to come, and I know we've probably all had experiences where, you know, we've we've done things, and we've there's been sins that we've had to commit consequences or pay consequences for indirectly in, in whatever way. And so, you know, we see that, and and we see the heart of God that you know He doesn't want that, but if it, you know, has to happen, it will happen. 
It, it's, it's like a father disciplining their children. You know? It's important and it's necessary for the salvation and redemption to come and take place. Uh, you know, this stuff will be used, and we'll see in chapter 3, um, which, which we'll get to next week, that God will use these things to call them back. Um, so let's go ahead and we'll finish out the chapter with, with verses 10 and 11. Um, and before we start, this is actually in the Hebrew, verse 10 and 11 is the start of chapter 2. And it's kind of a shift in language and attitude. Um, but it's, it's, again, prophecies for the future. It says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and I shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Um, so the first thing that God says here is they're going to increase in population. If you know anything about the history of the Jews, you know, you know, persecution, um, you know, the, the Holocaust. There's always been an, an attempt against the Jews to eliminate and exterminate them. And God says, you know, their population is going to increase. It's going to be innumerable. And he says, in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. So, you know, this is, this is right after it where it says, you will not be my people and I will not be your God. It says, you are my people. You are sons of the living God. And it's the same, it's the same word in the, um, in the Hebrew. You can replace my people with ami. When it says lo ami and lo ruhama, the lo means, just means no. And so when we see here in this section, when it, when it says my people, when it says mercy, it's literally these words. And so it's literally these kids' names that are redeemed and, and changed and saved. Um, but, you know, there will be God's children. And it's going to take, you know, it's going to take time. These are prophecies here for the future, and, and so eventually they're, they're going to get back to that place. Um, but it's going to be a, a long, you know, a long journey, and they're going to end up in this captivity for, uh, for quite a few years. Um, and, you know, eventually they will be gathered back together. It says in verse 11, Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. So there's a prophecy here about the rebirth of the children of Israel, and also that you know they will appoint for themselves one head, and this is speaking of, the Messiah. And so, as we know that the nation of Israel has been, you know, reformed today from that state of brokenness, uh, this is a prophecy even for the future of now, you know, where they're going to come together, and this is pointing to the millennial reign. And, and God's going to change the names, and they will come by the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Um, and, and this is, uh, so Jezreel means God scatters or God sows, and it's going to, you know, it's going to be a, a name of triumph and not a name of, of despair. And God's going to call them his people and, and give them mercy again. And so, you know, even through, through all this, we see God's goodness. We see his heart for his people. We also see the brokenness, you know, um, 
You know, this is, this is stuff that's going to come to pass in the future, and he includes it here so that there is hope. But, but first, you know, there's, that, there's a punishment that's going to come to the nation here for their sin. Um, and I think it kind of just highlights for us the importance of, of obedience. And for all these kings, you know, they, they went in and, and led in disobedience. For us, you know, they, we, we have the full counsel of the word of God. And so, you know, let's, let's, let's sit in it, um, let's draw close to him, and we'll really, you know, get to see as we go through this book that God really, really, really cares for his people. That unconditional love that is so hard to describe is, you know, you can almost see the picture of it in, as you read through this book, and I challenge you this next week to, to just read through, and read through maybe a chapter, a couple chapters and see, you know, what, what God is saying to his people. God pleased to them uh, to return to his love, and that's, that's the main crux of this book. For all of us, you know, the, the simple application can be to return to God's love from whatever point we are. If we're, if we're even close to God, to return even, even closer to him. You know, we know that, it, as it said in Deuteronomy, which we started off with, when you you know, those kings that, that, that wrote down the word, that, that meditated on it, that, that read in it, their days were prosperous and lengthened. Um, we were just in Proverbs 1 last night at, at our Tuesday Night Home Fellowship, and it, it talks just about that. And there's so much, um, you know, safety and blessing in obedience that outweighs um, <laughs> in so many ways the consequences that, that come with sin that come with disobedience. And so there's a challenge here, you know. Hosea is a guy who obeyed in, in the hardest of things, and then we get the, you know, uh, the opposite of these kings who, who disobeyed when, when God gave them chances over and over again. And so, you know, for us tonight, I think that the main takeaway is, you know, what has God called me to do? Am I doing it? Am I hearing what God has called me to do? And if not, you know, <laughs> in either case, the answer is to seek him. And as God is going to plea through this book to his people and we learn about what his will is and, and how he thinks and, and as we learn about ourselves, the answer is always going to be come closer to God, draw near to God. Um, and so, you know, let's pray and, and as we go out tonight, let's just keep these things in mind and, and be thankful for the Lord's heart for us. Lord, I, I pray that tonight that you just give us that heart of appreciation, of love for you, of recognition. God, that you love us more than we can ever understand. And sometimes you allow things to happen that we may have questions about. And God, I pray that when those times come that we would not question your character. Uh, Lord, but, but if we ask any questions, that it would just be for the purpose of your glory. God, I pray that you would direct us in our thoughts and in our lives to seek you with everything, um, to return closer and closer. God, we want to be closer and more in love with you than ever before. And just like you, you have, Lord, this marriage relationship with Israel, uh, Lord, we are your bride. You know, the, the church is your bride, and you're going to come back for us, God. But we want to be ready. Uh, we want to love you with just some little measure of the love that you pour out to us. 
God, I thank you that, that you are a good God and that you are perfect in all of your ways. And Lord, we are so often not perfect, and so we just surrender it to you, and we pray that you would have your way and your will in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.